Hi, everyone. Welcome if you're watching online and a shout out to Aldergrove CLCC. Hope you're having a great Sunday. We are concluding our series this week on how does God grow your faith? And today I want to talk about the fact that God grows our faith when he brings friends into our lives. Now, in a socially distant and polarized culture like we have today, we need to be reminded that friendship is incredibly important. Jesus uses friends to grow our faith. The text that I want to read is found in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 16. I don't know if uh, I've ever spoken from this text before or if you've ever heard a message from this text before. And pardon me as I uh, stumble over some of the names in this text. But here we are, Romans chapter 16, verse 1 to 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the Church of Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They have risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Aponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Let's just stop there for a moment. So here the Apostle Paul is writing to the Church of Rome. He's greeting a bunch of his friends who live there. And, and these names are all significant people in his life, all friends of his. And now we come to this last one, Aristopolis, that I just mentioned. Actually, we believe that this was a grandson of Herod the Great, who had passed away, but uh, his household, or the slaves of his household, or the workers of his household, had created a life group, a care group, a Bible study group, a church, and they met in his home. That's why he greets them. Let's go on. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. That's an interesting one as well. Narcissus was a servant of uh, Claudius, the emperor. Claudius was murdered, and uh, the empire was taken over by Nero. And uh, this forced Narcissus to commit suicide. And uh, of course, then his household would be left without a leader. But anyway, there was a life group that met in his home. And uh, those who belong to Jesus are being greeted by the Apostle Paul. Great Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Now, there's an interesting couple of names as well. Apparently, these are twin girls, twin sisters, and their names mean dainty and delicate. <laughs> and uh, it, it would put a smile on people's face when he says this, because he says, greet dainty and delicate who work so hard for the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. Greet Asyntocritus, Phlegian, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogia, 
or Philojas, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Let's pray. Well, thanks, Father, for friendships. Thank you that uh, Paul had a whole bunch of friends, uh, co-workers and people he associated with, people who were he, were in prison, he was in prison with. Thank you that you bring people into our lives and that you cause us to grow because of these relationships. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be good friends and to uh, treasure our friendships. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's some interesting side notes in our story. Um, Paul has not visited Rome, and yet he names 24 friends there in at least three home churches. And, and that sounds somewhat interesting. He's never been there, and yet he knew a lot of people. It, it says a couple of things to us. It, it says, first of all, that people in the first century were pretty mobile because he's meet, met all of these people outside of Rome. Uh, you also have to remember that... Um, uh, some years later, Claudius had uh, uh, made all the Jews, the believing Jews who were in Rome, leave Rome. And so a lot of believing Jews had, had left Rome. And then after Claudius died, they all came back. So these are people who had been displaced and now had come back to Rome. And some believe that the reason Paul is greeting so many friends at Rome is so that his letter will be well-received by the Roman Christians, because the, the church at Rome needs to know that he's familiar with them, that he has friends there, he's not a stranger to them. And uh, each of these friends that he mentions, he has a commendation for them. Uh, notice as well, as a side note, that, that Paul's not a lone ranger apostle. He refers to co-workers in verse 3 and 9. He's, he's not out there doing things by himself. He has a number of people who are working with him. And uh, we got to admit this, that Paul has a strong personality. It comes across in his letters. But he's not working on his own. He's got people who are working alongside him. Notice as well that there are nine women on the list, and he mentions that they labor for the Lord. Now, I want to talk about four outstanding friendships from the list. I can't talk about them all because of our time limitation, but there are, there are four outstanding friendships here that I want to make note of. The first is Phoebe. This is, she's mentioned in verse 1 to 3. She's the letter carrier. It says that she's a deacon in the church. Now, a deacon is a servant of the church, and later on in church history, just a few years later, in fact, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and 1 Timothy 3.11 tell us that the term deacon is an official position in church leadership. And so she's a deacon. She's also a benefactor, and um, the, actually the word is a patron in the original language. Uh, patrons were wealthy people who took care of other people. In a in the first century, the Roman Empire, uh, there was, there was uh, uh, a culture that was, that was run or fed by patronage. And there was very little, few people in the middle class. Most people were either wealthy or very poor. And if you were very poor, you attached yourself to a patron. A patron would be a wealthy person who could secure a job for you, could help you with housing, and help you with other benefits. And so when it talked about a patron, it means it's a wealthy person who other people attach themselves to in order to be helped through what, what was a pretty tough uh, century, pretty tough way of living in the early uh, Roman Empire. Now, 
modern scholarship has told us something else about these letter carriers. This, this woman who's carrying the letter with, for Paul was probably also the reader of the letter in the church and also the interpreter of the letter. So modern scholarship says that not only did these people, and, and this was quite common, letters were uh, carried by individuals, uh, that individual was charged with responsibility to be in charge of the letter. So they would read the letter publicly, and then they would address the crowd that they were reading the letter to, and the crowd would ask them questions because they knew the author of the letter in some of the ways that the letter might be misinterpreted or should be interpreted. They would answer questions and explain the meaning of the letter. And this is a woman who's doing this, and so this is fascinating. And when you think of uh, passages like uh, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, where Paul talks about women being silent in the church, or in 1 Timothy, where Paul talks about the same kind of thing. You have to take into account this kind of uh, mention of this letter uh, being carried by Phoebe, who is definitely speaking in church. So whatever's going on in the church of Corinth, whatever's going on in the church of Ephesus, to get that kind of com- those kind of comments from the Apostle Paul, you have to also take uh, these greetings in mind. Uh, secondly, I want to talk about Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, in verse 4 and 5. Uh, these people, this is another couple, uh, were tent makers with Paul in chapter 18, verse 2. They're talked about. So uh, they helped make tents. That's the way they made their living. The apostle Paul made his living that way. As a missionary, he was uh, uh, bivocational. Now they moved from Rome when Claudius uh, kicked the, road, the Jews out of Rome to Corinth. And then they moved to Ephesus, and now they're back in Rome again. So they're very mobile. And everywhere they live, uh, they had life groups in their homes. Fascinating. And they're mentioned uh, six times in the New Testament. And uh, four of the six times, Priscilla is mentioned before Aquila. The woman's name comes first, which is kind of unusual, just like it would be today. It means either she was an aristocrat or she was the more gifted of the couple. Uh, the third couple that I'd like to note is Adronicus and Junia. Uh, another couple, Junia is a woman. Uh, it's a female name. And they were in prison with Paul, Paul says, and he mentions that they are outstanding among the apostles. So here we have him naming a woman as an apostle. Now, apostles were leaders of the church. There's two ways in which the word apostle was used in the New Testament. Uh, there was, it was used in the strictest sense to refer to those who were the 12 who associated with Jesus uh, through his life and ministry. It was also used in a broader sense to refer to those who were sent out by the church as missionaries or as ambassadors for the church. And this is the way it's being used here. So uh, this couple... Uh, both the man and the woman, are perceived as being outstanding in being sent out from the churches to represent the church in the sharing of the gospel. And Paul also mentions that they knew Jesus earlier than Paul and perhaps were one of the, the uh, groups of people that helped disciple Paul into becoming all that he could be. Notice also the name in verse 13, Rufus, uh, which simply means Red in Latin. And I think we all know uh, someone whose nickname is Red. Uh, he's the son of Simon who carried the cross for Jesus. In Mark 15, uh, Mark, uh, the gospel writer, tells an interesting story that says that Jesus on the Via della Rosa, while he was carrying the cross to Golgotha, uh, was exhausted and couldn't carry the cross. And the Roman officials 
took, uh, asked Simon, demanded that Simon, the Cyrenian, would uh, take and carry the cross for Jesus. And imagine that uh, if, if Simon was a Jew, this would have been quite uh, a horrendous thing for him because uh, he would have been uh, covered with the blood that was on the cross. And, and this was not something that Jews would want to be associated with, nor would they want to be associated with someone who was uh, a, a, a criminal or carrying a criminal's cross. But anyway, Mark mentions, almost in passing, that this was Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, he says that because he's writing from Rome, and Alexander and Rufus live in Rome. And so everybody would know them. That's why he, he just mentions this in passing, that, that this man who carried the cross for Jesus was known to them a little bit because he was the father of a couple of people that they knew in the church of Rome. And so here the Apostle Paul is greeting the same guy, the, the, the son of the guy who carried the cross for Jesus. So many of Paul's friends in the list are slaves or former slaves. Now, keep in mind, this is not African slavery. This is a, a first century slavery, Roman Empire slavery. Slavery in the first century was different than North American slavery. Uh, many slaves in this culture were well-educated, highly educated folks. In fact, the slaves carried on significant responsibility to manage households and to manage state affairs. I understand from uh, a friend of mine who lived in Dubai for a while that uh, it was very similar in Dubai where the, the people who were born as natural citizens to the country were given an income just because they were citizens of the country by the government. And uh, they lived uh, off that income, and they often hired expatriates to do most of the engineering and uh, the, the work that was uh, taking, the technical work that was taking place in the country. And in a very similar way, the first century ran by having very well-educated slaves who would manage the affairs of, of the household and of the country. So when he mentions these people, and we know that they're slaves, it doesn't mean they're poorly educated. They, they could be uh, people who were fairly well-known. And uh, in that century, people would actually sell themselves into slavery and could buy themselves out of slavery. So here he's mentioning a number of people who had significant responsibilities in the, uh, in the empire as, as friends of his who, who uh, had worked their way through the system and had held very prominent positions. Friendships can help to grow our faith. That's my point. We are wired to need friends. Loneliness is physically and spiritually Detrimental studies, recent studies have shown that loneliness is, is uh, very harmful to our autoimmune system and that friendship and uh, uh, caring relationships are incredibly important to our physical and mental well-being. Um, this whole need for friendship, this, this need to be with others comes and is rooted in the fact that we're image bearers of a Trinitarian God. Remember Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Who was God talking to when he said that? Well, he was talking to himself. He was talking to this, this idea that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three persons in one. And in a similar way, that idea of community, that idea of belonging, that idea of being in fellowship with others is passed on to us as image bearers. So we have this deep-seated need to be in relationships with others. Even the most gifted people 
need co-workers. And you think of the Apostle Paul, and think of Luke and Silas and Barnabas and Timothy and even John Mark. And we realize that, that as John Donne said in a sermon some 400 years ago, no man is an island. His devotional, his sermon was really about uh, um, the problem of isolationism. And at the end of his first stanza, he says this, therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. And what John Donne was talking about there is that uh, at, at his time in history, uh, the church bell would ring when someone died, and then people would often go to the church and ask who died. And he said, uh, whenever the bell tolls, whenever anybody dies, a part of us has died. Um, it's, it's really told for us because when we lose each other, it's really a part of us. Uh, we're not isolated. We're not an island. Uh, we need belonging, and we are connected, interconnected with one another. You know, also, friendship will require grace. Uh, Paul demonstrated that in his own lives. You know, friends sometimes disagree. You have to get over it. In Acts chapter 15, verse 36 to 41, Paul and Barnabas, his co-worker, his traveling companion, his fellow missionary, have a sharp disagreement over young John Mark. Uh, a sharp disagreement. Uh, it means they, they had pretty harsh words for each other. And in fact, they parted ways. You see, uh, Paul felt that John Mark had deserted them, that uh, when the, the going got tough on their first missionary journey, uh, he left, he went back to Jerusalem. And so on the second missionary journey, when Paul and Barnabas were discussing it, the Apostle Paul says, uh, let's not take John Mark. And Barnabas says, well, I think he's a good guy. I think he's useful to us. Well, they had such a disagreement that Paul took Silas and went off on the, his missionary journey, and Barnabas took John Mark and went on a separate missionary journey. Actually, they ended up with two missionary teams, which is probably a good thing. But note also that later, the Apostle Paul reconciles with young John Mark. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me, to me for ministry. This is uh, Apostle Paul writing from prison and recognizing, yes, John Mark is useful. He is helpful. Go get him. He'll help me in my ministry. We also notice that we need a diversity of friends. Slaves and patrons are mentioned in the list. In fact, 13 of the names that are found on our list are also found in inscriptions in emperor's palace by modern archaeologists. So, so these names that he's using, these people that he's talking to, uh, actually uh, had fairly significant positions in the Roman Empire. Paul had friends in high places, and he had friends in low places. Uh, I, I think it's important to, to avoid cultural homogeneity. That's the idea that we just hang around with people who are like us, that, that have the same, perhaps, social status, or, or maybe people who have children hang around with people who have children, or people who are single hang around only with people who are single, or people of a certain age hang around with only people of a certain age. I think it's important to avoid that, because that's not the kingdom of God. Uh, we're heterogeneous. We're, we're, we're a group of people who come together because of Jesus Christ, and we need to get to know people outside of our circle, outside, and, and this takes effort to get outside of our bubble. It takes effort to get to know people who are unlike us, who perhaps come from different family or cultural or racial backgrounds. Uh, I think it's important. I think today we talk about confusing the algorithm. 
uh, algorithms are used to uh, track us on social media so that when we show a, a propensity for looking at certain articles, uh, they will know that on social media and their algorithm will send more articles which feed us with the same kind of mindset. And I think it's important to get out of that and, and to, to read outside the box, so to speak, read outside the algorithm and, and listen to opinions that are different from ours so that we are, uh, have a diversity uh, in our understanding. I, I think that makes uh, good followers of Jesus Christ. I think there are three key qualities in friendship. Uh, the first would be vulnerability. Uh, we need friends who are real with us. You want to be a good friend? Be a real friend. Uh, we also need consistency. We need friends who are there for us, come thick or thin, no matter what. We also need positivity. We need friends who will pick us up, friends who will encourage us, friends who will not only challenge us, but, but compliment us and lift us up when we're, when we're feeling as if things aren't going exactly as we hoped they would. And if we want to be good friends, and if we want to have good friends, we need to work on our vulnerability, our consistency, and our positivity. So friends help to grow our faith. The Apostle Paul is demonstrating that here in Romans chapter 16. Please get connected to good Christian friends. And also, some of us need to disconnect from harmful friends, because that's also important. So friends can drag you down. As uh, Jim Rohn infamously said, that we are really the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Guard your children's friendships, both at school and on social media. And praying for our friends really deepens our friendships. It's important to remember our friends in prayer. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, first of all, for friendships and how they help to grow our faith. Even friends at times that we disagree with, uh, and then we later reconcile with. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you've encouraged us to have friends, that, that this is a deep-seated need in all of us. Help us to be good friends to others. Help us to be vulnerable and consistent and positive in our relationships, as, as Paul is demonstrating in, in, in his letters and in this list of friends that he's greeting in, the, in Rome. So, Lord, I pray that, that you would bring friends into our lives and that you would help us to be friend-like. We thank you that you do desire to grow our faith and that you use people. Uh, people are so important to us, Lord, and, and we thank you for them. We just take a moment, Lord, just to thank you, praise you for the people that you've brought into our lives that have come alongside us, who've befriended us, who've made our lives richer. In your name we pray, amen. Here's a question of the day. Who are your best friends? Take a moment to pray for them. If you don't have friends, pray for your ability to connect with friendships and start attending a life group.
You know, there are three science-backed reasons for friendship. Not only does scripture encourage friendship, not only are we wired because of being in the image of God for friendship, science tells us that friendships are incredibly important. Quality friends make you physically healthier. Science is showing this. In fact, loneliness has the same risk factors to our health as smoking and alcoholism. Wow. Secondly, good friends improve your mental health, your mental well-being. Wow. Also, good relationships is the key factor in determining happiness. In 1939, a study was started that has lasted, that lasted 80 years. This study started, studied Harvard graduates and hundreds of men who lived in the Boston area. And what the study sought to discover is what factors were the most important in determining happiness, a sense of well-being. And they looked at IQ, they looked at genetics, they looked at social status, they looked at fame, they looked at fortune, they looked at health. And what they discovered is that the only factor that predominantly showed as um, providing uh, lasting, encouraging results in terms of a sense of self-worth and a sense of happiness was close relationships. Imagine that. Uh, close relationships is ab are absolutely critical for our well-being. Science is showing that. The scripture is telling us that. So let's be good friends and let's have friends. Jude chapter 1. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.